0: Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. The mission of our church is to make disciples. For many years, we would, we would go through and God would lay on my heart and give us as a church a, a yearly theme. And it was in 2021 that God spoke to me and, and solidified that, yes, we may have seasons where we're pressing towards certain goals. We may have sermon series. But the, the theme, the mission of our church was It was a solidary mission, and that was to, to make disciples. Now, that sounds a lot simpler than it really is. We present the process of conversion often, and we rejoice when people take the steps necessary to be born again. You know, We preach about repentance of sin and baptism in Jesus' name. And seeking after and receiving the gift of God's spirit in our lives. And those are things worthy of rejoicing about. It's a it's a wonderful thing when somebody takes the steps necessary to surrender their life into God's hands. And they're born again. But unfortunately, I guess unfortunately because that's, that's the easier part of the process. Our mission is is not just to see people be born again. Because many people are born again and never progress in their relationship with God. Our mission, our goal, is to make disciples. New birth is fantastic, but it is not the end goal. Spiritual infancy, see, new birth, we're born again, that makes us like little babies in Christ. And spiritual infancy, in a lot of ways, is very similar to physical infancy. An infant must be fed, loved, cleaned up, and taught by people more advanced than themselves if they have any hope of survival. No no rational human being would take an infant and say, I'm so glad that you were born into the world. Now go and prosper. And then expect that that infant to survive, much less thrive as a human being without proper care. And so we see people enter into this relationship with God and they're born again. And if we're not careful as the church, we will make the mistake of saying, I'm so glad that you've been brought into the kingdom of God as an infant. Go and prosper. And fail To make disciples. Fail to provide the care. And the love. And the teaching. And the training. That they need. Matthew chapter 28. Verses 18 through 20. This mission that that we've adopted. That we have as a church. Was given by Jesus himself. So Matthew chapter 28. 28, 18 through 20. I know the kids have their sheet. If you're looking for a title, today I'm preaching disciples meet Lazarus. Lazarus meet the disciples, making a a simple introduction. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus is speaking after his resurrection He's giving direction to his followers prior to his ascension into heaven. And he says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that's where we're like, yes, our job's done. But Jesus continues teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. So Jesus said that we as the church are supposed to teach to a point of baptism. And then we're supposed to keep teaching. That's a big task. He said, I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. Now Jesus had done a lot of teaching at this point. He's telling them to make disciples. That's a church word. I don't think anywhere in in your day to day activities other than church are you using the word disciple? So we have to ask ourselves the question this morning as we get this rolling and we, we launch into what God has to say for us today. What is a disciple? It's a simple enough question, but we could, if we took the time, we we might get a dozen different answers if everyone were to give an answer today. Very, very simply, a disciple is one who follows the teaching of another. So the disciples of John in Scripture were those who followed after and lived out the teachings of John. The disciples of Jesus were those who followed after and lived out the teachings of Jesus. And it, it's important that we note it's those who follow, not just those who believe or agree in. Oh, I believe in that. That's a great concept. You shouldn't lie. And yet I run around telling lies Then I, I'm not a disciple of the one who teaches I shouldn't lie. It, it's one who follows the teachings of another. So our mission as, believe, as believers is to lead others to a place where they follow the teachings of Of Jesus. I'm not trying to make disciples of Jason. I hope you're not trying to make disciples of yourself. We could say in turn like Paul did, follow me, but only follow me as long as I'm following Christ. Because we're trying to make disciples of him, people that follow his teachings. We're both called to continually become disciples. We don't reach a point where we say, okay, I guess Jesus has nothing left to teach me. No, we're we're continually advancing in our relationship with Him. We're growing. We're we're learning more about Him. So we're both called to continually become disciples and to make disciples. So that means I'm I'm pressing forward in my relationship with God. I'm reaching into areas that I've not yet gone. I want to go deeper in my relationship with Him. But while I have this hand stretched toward heaven... and and I'm growing closer to God and becoming a better disciple myself, this hand should be reaching back behind me, pulling someone in my direction, helping them to get to where I already am. Okay? Sometimes we get this idea like, well, when when I arrive, when I get my discipleship diploma, then I'll be qualified to teach someone else. Well, we would be in bad shape if that was the case because the apostles, it took them until... I'm going to get the chapter wrong. I think it's, is it Acts 10? Before they ever go and maybe Acts 19? I think it's 10. Where, before they ever go and preach to the Gentiles. And so for all this time in the inception of the church, the disciples, the apostles still have the mindset that salvation is only for the Jews. You see they weren't they had not arrived they weren't there yet but they were pulling people to the level of understanding that they had all while pressing forward into their relationship with God and allowing God to help them become better disciples. They weren't waiting until they had it all together if we did that we would all be in trouble. So I want us to go to John chapter 11 verses 43 and 44 and this is where we're going to introduce the idea of Lazarus. John chapter 11. Verses 43 and 44. This is just a small portion of scripture. Where Jesus calls his friend Lazarus forth from the grave. So the backstory is he knew Lazarus was sick. He continued ministering in the area that he was. And by the time he got to where Lazarus was... He had already died and had been dead for several days. He arrives on the scene. There's an exchange with the sisters of Lazarus. He makes his way to the tomb to where Lazarus was. And he instructs some people to roll the stone away. When we get to this point in Scripture in, in John eleven forty three 43 through 44, and while there's a lot of lessons that we can pull out of there, there is a beautiful picture of discipleship that takes place. It says, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. So Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave and gives him a new life. Lazarus was dead. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't taking a nap. He wasn't near death. When we read this, and I I use the word story very loosely, when we read this account of Scripture, this this happened. This is not a story to teach us moral lessons. This really took place. When we read this account, Lazarus was dead. Like the doctors could not help him anymore. There was no point in CPR. He, He was lifeless. And yet Jesus speaks into the tomb of a lifeless man And out comes someone who has new life, new life. He comes out, uh, continuing to read, uh, he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. See, Lazarus responded to the call of Jesus and hopped into new life. I'm taking a little bit of liberty here. I don't know if he rolled out. I don't know if he inchwormed his way. I just know the, the Bible tells me that his feet were bound with the grave clothes. So he didn't just stroll out casually. He, he probably didn't look very uh, eloquent coming out of the tomb. But he responded to God nonetheless. And he made the effort necessary to get out of the grave that he was in. And here he is. He was still constrained by some of the items from the grave. His movements were dictated By the grave clothes. Lazarus didn't come out and throw his hands in the air. And begin to worship God. Why? Because his hands were bound. By the grave clothes. He didn't come out and begin to dance around his feet. He he didn't come out and and lift up his eyes toward heaven. He had a napkin over his face. It it inhibited his view. He He could only see from a certain perspective. Because of something that was applied to him. In the grave. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. At this point, Jesus withdraws his personal involvement and commissions those who he trusted to continue the work he began in Lazarus' life. He says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And however Lazarus made his way out of the grave, he made his way out of the grave, all wrapped up and tangled up in, in these grave clothes. And then Jesus does not remove the grave clothes. He doesn't go over and intimately unravel all of the things that Lazarus had. He actually looked at those that were standing by, his followers, his disciples, and he said, go and loose him. Go remove those grave clothes. We look at that and try to figure out how it applies. The fact is that God speaks into our grave and calls us out by name. He may reach us through his word. He may reach us through his people. He may reach us through circumstances that exist in our life. But in one way or another, Jesus reaches us in a dead, sinful state and calls us to life. 1 Peter 2 and 24 says it like this and is speaking of Jesus, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Speaking of the cross. Why? That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. You and I, though we were still taking in oxygen, we were breathing, we could fog up a mirror, we we had physical life, we were spiritually dead. We were as spiritually dead as Lazarus was physically dead because of the sinful decisions that we make. And in that point of, of spiritual death... In one way or another, Jesus began to call out to you. And we could take the time to share testimonies today about the first time we felt the, the pull of God's Spirit, and we began to respond to His word, and we come out of the grave, and what a wonderful day it is. We're born again. We've got, we've got a new life. But everything's not perfect. Everything's not just just hunky-dory when we come out of there. He gives us new life through His plan of salvation, yet coming out of the grave, many times we're still entangled by the grave clothes of our past. We stumble out of the grave and they do not have the power to bind us, but if not removed, they can restrain us and make it very difficult for us to move forward. I'm not preaching any less power of the cross than I've ever preached before. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus and His name is called over your life, The the things of your past are washed away. All things are become new. But we have to make the decision to remove those things from ourselves. We can't hang on to that stuff. And so Lazarus here comes out of the grave. Death couldn't hold him anymore. He didn't belong in grave clothes. And Jesus said, I want people more experienced than you to come alongside you and help you remove the grave clothes of your past. We come into the presence of God sometimes and and we fail to see the truth of his word. Why? Because our our perception is clouded by the napkin that's been placed over our face, our face, the napkin of past experience, the napkin of what somebody else told us or how somebody else treated us. And we we struggle to worship God. We struggle to move in the direction that he wants us to go because we're dealing with all of these things that we've uh, allowed to be attached to us. Through the years that we've lived. People experience new birth and still have on the garments of foul language. People experience new birth and they come out of the grave and their feet are still bound to paths that lead them to places that endanger their soul. People come out of the grave and their hands are still bound to habits that are ungodly. People come out of the grave and the napkin of past experience are draped over their face making it very difficult for them to see the will of God, the napkin of old opinions is difficult to look through. And so we've got all this mess and, and we would hope we, we wish. And I, I, as the preacher, I wish it was this way. I wish that Jesus himself would just start to remove one article after another. And he does help and he is involved. But he said to these people in, in this story, go and loose him. It's kind of like teach. Baptize and teach. Mm -hmm. We teach people to the point of them being baptized. And if we're not careful, we then forsake them. And Jesus is saying, no, go, go and loose them. Go and loose them. So I have a word to mature disciples today. Jesus said that it was your job to teach, baptize, and keep teaching. We have to be careful not to allow the stench of sin to keep us from obeying the command of Jesus. When Jesus showed up on the scene and he said to those people, you can read it in the context. When he told them to to roll away the stone, they said, Jesus, you don't understand. He's been there long enough. He stinks. Don't don't roll the don't 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 do that. If it was up to them, there would have been no miracle of resurrection. Because they were too afraid of the smell. They were too afraid of of the byproducts of sin and death that had already taken place. That that they they were content at that moment to just leave the stone in place. Get on some spiritual rubber gloves and lay hold on some grave clothes. It could be said, and it might very well be be possible that if we don't have someone in our life that we're working to unravel, we might be missing a portion of the will of God for our lives. He did not save us and leave us on this planet just so we could have nice families and build a nice little earthly kingdom and and, and get our finances in order and, and, and live a beautiful little life. All of this stuff is wonderful and we pray for it and we pursue it, but it's temporal. It's temporary. It's all going to pass away. He left us here so that we could teach, baptize, and teach. He left us here to further propagate his message to make make disciples. He employed us to make disciples through the means of teaching others what he's already taught us. That's the comforting part of being called to make disciples. I don't have to figure it out. And somehow find something smart and intelligent and spiritual to say to people. The only thing I'm responsible for teaching other people is what Jesus has already taught me. I have to take what He's entrusted to me and then put it to use and help somebody else. It's all right to come home smelling like cigarette smoke sometimes. Really? Not because you were smoking. But because you were with somebody that was, I don't know why this makes church. It's church people, okay? We get so uncomfortable with this sometimes. Oh, then, then the the we, we think way more about it than, than anybody else. You know, the person at the gas station is going to smell that, and they're going to they're going no, they don't they don't care. They're used to it. It's okay to sit in a restaurant and have dinner with somebody that's not using very good language. We get so uncomfortable. We're sitting there and we're like, under the table. So my- <laughs> I, worked, <laughs> I worked with a guy for a while and, and uh, he said something. I don't know how the conversation came up, but at some point he's like, well, I mean, I've heard you swear. I said, you have? He hadn't heard me swear, it's been a long time. Thank God, I give him the credit. There was a point in my life where I talked like that, but it's been a really long time. And I said, "You have not." Well, when he got to thinking about it, as as days went on, he came back and he said, "Yeah, I don't think I have." But I wasn't making a big deal about it when other people did. I I work construction, okay? People don't—they don't use flowery language. And so there's a lot of times that I'm around somebody, I do business with somebody, it might be a year down the road, and and it comes up and they find out I'm a pastor and they're like, oh man, I'm really sorry. For what? (laughs) Wow, you know, I I know I said this and I said that. And it's like, well, if if you're convicted and God's telling you not to do that, then that's great. But I didn't say it. See, I, I can't allow the stench to so repel me. That I won't involve myself in the life of lost people. I can't make disciples if I'm only surrounded by other people that are at my same level of discipleship or greater. I cannot fulfill the Great Commission if I do not have people in my life that are, are not as far along on this process than I am. Jesus knew very, very well that Lazarus would stink. And he rolled the stone away anyways. He was not deterred one bit when they said, Master, he, he'd been in there a couple days. He's ripe. He said, roll it away. I, I'm alright with that. I'm okay with that. People get, get this out of context sometimes because the scripture says not that Jesus' friends were sinners, but that Jesus was a friend of sinners. You see the difference there it's not that he was surrounding himself and allowing sinful people to exhibit or or to portray influence on his life his friends were his disciples we see that through the scripture those that he drew close to were those that were encouraging him and and trying to walk and follow him however the sinful people would look at jesus and say that's my friend he's a friend to me he's good to me he, he doesn't put me down. He doesn't make me feel ashamed of myself every time I'm around him. He encourages me to do better, but but he's my friend. I want, the, I want that testimony. I want lost people to say, you know, that guy's a friend to me. That gal, she she's good to me. She's kind. She she's she doesn't live like I do, but but you know what? She treats me well. They're my friend. I I wrote in my notes and Jesus. Um, convicted me a little bit. and I had to rewrite it. What I initially tried to write in my notes was that discipleship is inconvenient. Discipleship is inconvenient. I'm thinking about the fact that it takes time. It takes money. Sometimes it, it's uncomfortable. And when Jesus convicted me and smoked, I didn't even get it typed out. And God spoke to me. And he said, discipleship is inconvenient when you fail to plan for being involved in discipleship. I don't have any time for discipleship, It's because I didn't plan to have any time for discipleship. When an opportunity arises for me to teach a Bible study, and, and it's right there I mean, it's like T-ball, Little League. It, it's, it's perfect. they're willing. I, I'm able. And yet I, I go, I, I, don't, I don't have any time to facilitate a Bible study. That's inconvenient because I failed to make the Great Commission a part of my plan in life. It's inconvenient because I'm not, I'm not setting aside time for that. Now there are times when it, it just is inconvenient. There are emergencies that arrive. There are situations that come up out of the blue and it's, oh man, what am I going to do now? And then you just do it. You just step up to the plate and you find a way to make it happen. So we as as the church, as mature believers, if we want to label it that way, should be seeking to be involved in discipleship. Now I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to give a word to those of you that would be newer converts. Those that are are maybe just starting to try and live this life for Jesus. And my word to you is stop fighting the hands of those that are trying to help you. I thought about this a little bit, and I don't, I don't know. This is Jason Brooks' interpretation. I think Lazarus would have been a little bit surprised by the events of that day. I, I've never been dead and been called back to life. I, I don't know. He was in a grave. It was over. I don't know what he experienced in that time. And then in a, in a moment, just the spoken word of Jesus, he was ripped out of this world of death and thrust back into a new life. And he's all tied up, and he's all bound, and he's trying to get out. And now there's people around him, touching him, trying to remove these grave clothes. He was probably a little freaked out. I I would have been. I don't know. Maybe he was okay with it. It probably wasn't a um, peaceful, tranquil experience. There was a lot going on here as we read this. He could have been very confused. He could have been able to understand, unable to understand what was going on at first. Why are they, why are they touching me? What, what are they doing? That that belongs to me. You can't go take that off. The napkins pulled away. He's been in the grave for days. His, his eyes are not adjusted to the light, and all of a sudden there's the sun. And ah, give me that, give me that back. I just I don't know what it was like. But we see this in the life of people that come out of darkness into light. It's not an easy task. I know that a new life in Christ is a lot to take in. Okay, I want to be fair about that. I mean, all you have to do is change everything. Right? <laughs> That's it. Like we, we say this sometimes, like it's no big deal. Like, just just give your all to God. You know, all he's asking you to do is change everything. That's a lot to absorb. like... Come again? And so it's difficult. And so sometimes we struggle against, in our our efforts, we struggle against those that are trying to help us unravel the mess of our past and take off the grave clothes and and we try to hold on to things and we try to push them away. It's possible, possible to be so attached to parts of our past that they're not binding us, but rather we're bound to them. Let that sink in for a moment. It's possible for us as as people to be so attached to parts of our past that they're no longer binding us spiritually, but we have bound ourselves to them. Old mindsets well that's just the way I think about it i I just thought Granddaddy thought about it that way, and Daddy thought about it that way and and I've thought about it that way for this long and and that's just what i think and that, and, and and it's not binding us anymore we've we've been exposed to a better way of thinking, but we're just not willing to let go of of our old way of thinking right. and so we bind ourselves to that in old attitudes and old habits and old reputations and we, we Become identified by those things. And in this process of being born again, it's really hard to let go of our identity. Because everybody wants to be in a place where they have an identity. They have a reputation. They've worked their entire life to build that reputation. Whether it's good or bad, they've put their entire life into building that reputation. And it's difficult for me to let go of that and to become, ready? Nobody. So that God can make me somebody. But it's impossible to hold on to who I was and become who God wants me to be. It's impossible to, to keep living this life and embrace that life. And it's grave clothes. Are, are they, were they born again? Yes. Yes. Filled with the Holy Ghost. And God's convicting us. And, and He's trying to work with us. And He's sending people into our lives that's, that's trying to teach us and show us a better way. And, and sometimes, rather than being thankful and embracing that help, we get offended. Right. Or we justify our current situation. And we say, I, I don't need to go any further. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Hey, here's a question Why do you think God gave you the Holy Ghost? So, yeah. So you can become holy. right? He didn't give you the Holy Ghost because you were holy. He gave you the Holy Ghost to make you holy. That means there's going to be change happening. I'm going to be altering from what I am to what He wants me to be. I'm I'm going to keep taking steps forward and, and letting go of things. It's also possible to attach ourselves to others that have not experienced new birth. And desire to keep you bound because they like how you were, not how Jesus is calling you to be. We got to think about this. There's this process. There's this tug of war thing going on. And I come to church and I surround myself with people that are encouraging me to be good. And I I feel great and I make a decision and and I unwrap a layer of grave clothes. And then I leave church and I go and I attach myself to friendships and relationships of people that are, are not encouraging me in that. And before I'm done with that encounter, they take that old, old grave cloth that I just took off and they wrap it back around. And I make my way to a Bible study, and I, I learn something in God's Word, and He helps me, and my eyes are open, and I see it, and I go, wow, that's, that's so great, I love that, I'm going to embrace that, I'm going to leave this part of me behind, and I, and I lay it down, and then I go back into that environment, and they go, oh no man, you, you need that in your life, matter of fact, let me pick that up and put that back on Because they don't want who God's calling you to be, right. they want who you've always been. And there's this cycle that goes on. And the scripture says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Yes, Two things that can take place when I allow this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to go on. And neither one of them are positive. Number one, I eventually just get worn down spiritually and I stop trying to live for God. Right. This is why people can come into church. They can be baptized in Jesus' name. They can repent of all their sins, they can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then a year later, they don't live for God at all. So, wow, did, did God fail them? No, they made decisions that led them away from the life He was leading them into. So I just get tired, and man, it's, I take it off, and I put it back on. I take The worst scenario, and I say worse because at least if that happens, then you know you need to come back to a place of repentance. The worst scenario is when you see people that get so used to this lifestyle that they just start carrying the grave clothes in their pocket. And I make sure that before I show up at church, I take them all off and I, and I tuck them away and I look nice and I come in and we have church. And then on my car ride home, I pull those out of my pocket and I put them all back on so that when I go walking into my, my environment that's ungodly, I still fit in. And I become an absolute hypocrite. And I don't really have any friends because they don't know who I really am. And I'm not really right with God because he does know who I really am. And I'm stuck in the middle trying to live a double life. Neither one is positive. Don't fight against those that are trying to help you remove the grave clothes of your past. Matter of fact, you need to seek out and find people that can speak into your life with love and compassion and help and and see you progress. You need to find somebody that's farther along in their walk with God, and say, "I want you to teach me what Jesus taught you. I want you to help me be more like Jesus. I'm not going to fight against you anymore. I'm not going to be so set in my ways. I, I, I want your, I want a partnership here. I want a partnership here. In kind, I want to give you scripture to the." the relationships that I just pointed out, we, we misinterpret Jesus sometimes and they misinterpreted him in scripture. So he says this in Luke twelve fifty one through 53. Suppose ye that I have come to give peace on earth. He says, is that what you guys think? You think I'm here to just create peace? Now listen to what he goes on to say. I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth, there shall be five in one house divided. Three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father and the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother and the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, Jesus, that don't sound too great. What is that? That means there's going to be people even within a household sometimes where, where members of that family say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And other members say, I'm not. And there's going to be division. And God calls us to make, to make decisions to put Him first. These are, I, I'm not just preaching this like it's easy stuff. Understand, I'm not saying like this is all easy, just go and do it immediately. This, these are difficult decisions. When you have people that you've been friends with for years, and you have to make the decision to draw a line and remove them, From your day to day life. That's a tough decision. What we have to be mindful of. And understand. Is that they. They're only friends. With who we were. They're not friends. With who we're becoming. And because of that. They're not hateful. Okay, They're not necessarily out to kill you. But they want to keep their friend. That's why they speak negatively about the changes that you're trying to make. Because they're friends with the person that you used to be. Mm-hmm. And so when you say, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to start applying myself in this area. I'm going to try to make this change. And they say, don't do that. I'm not friends with that person. Right. Just drink a little more. I'm, losing, I'm, I'm I'm losing a friend. And so they're doing everything they can to keep you back where you are. And it's difficult. I'm telling you, it's difficult. I grew up with a, with a guy, his name's Matt Mason. Best friends, closest friends as you can ever imagine. From the time I was in sixth grade till the time I moved up here in 10th in grade, we were together almost every day. He lived a quarter mile from my house. We did everything together. I mean, everything. When the Bible said, talks about uh, a brother being born for adversity, that's the kind of friendship that we had. I mean, you, you, if you got in a fight with us, you, you, you never fought one of us. We were, we were always in places to get close friendships. So when I came to Minnesota with the intention of being here for just a couple months, making some money and going back home, and God radically changed my life, right? After a little bit of time, I extended an invitation for him to come, and my aunt and uncle opened up their home and allowed him to live there. And after a little while, we... We got him an apartment and and got him his own place, and he was doing good, and he was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and his, I I say girlfriend, but they had been together for for years. His girlfriend came up and began to live there, and it wasn't long before he, he went back to drinking and he went back to doing certain things in his life, and then one day he was just gone. And he went back home and he left the apartment a mess. And I had to go in, we had to go in and clean it up. And it was a bad stain even on the reputation of the church and all of these things. But that was my friend. So later in life, again, I extended the invitation and Sharice and I are married by this point. And he comes and he lives in my home. And I employ him and I eventually get him a job with someone else. and, And on and on and on until, again, he began to fall back in some of these old habits. And it came to the point where he had to go. That's a difficult decision. I still think about Matt all the time. I can't think about childhood memories without thinking about Matt. We were that close. But I couldn't be who God was calling me to be and hang out with Matt. And so I made an attempt, right? I made an attempt to to make a disciple But when they made up their mind they weren't going to be a disciple, I had to walk away. I had to cut the strings. So don't fight against those that are trying to help you. Embrace those who are trying to help you spiritually. I'm going to close. Simply put, disciples, meet Lazarus. Lazarus, meet the disciples. There's a relationship that has to exist here. You see, each one needs the other to fulfill the will of God for their lives. If I'm called to make disciples, and those that are, are not as far along in their relationship with God are called to become disciples, it takes both people working together to see the will of God completed. It's this kind of relationship that leads us from being a group of unconnected people that attend the same church on a Sunday to becoming the family of God, to becoming the church, the body of Christ. It's interdependency. Being overly independent or being overly dependent are both unhealthy. God has created us as individuals, as human beings, especially within the church, to be interdependent. I need you. You need me. We're both trying to accomplish the will of God. It weaves us together and forces us to become interdependent so that we can function as the body of Christ. If you would stand with me. Haley, if you want to play some music from back there. Two things. I'm going to make a corporate call to action. That means this is church-wide. And it doesn't take place here on a Sunday. If you're not involved in Wednesday night Bible study, I'm making an appeal right now as your pastor for you to make Wednesday night Bible study a priority. Because Wednesday night Bible study is about putting roots down, and there's a lot of really practical teaching that goes forth. Not only is it another opportunity to rub shoulders and build community, it's, it's discipleship. It's growth. Many times Sunday is, is inspirational and it's reaching and it's trying to draw us to a point of decision. Wednesday is about building foundation and stability and consistency. So I'm making an appeal. Make, make Wednesday a priority. Secondly, I want to invite us to come today into the altar, and I want to challenge you a little bit. Lazarus, those people around weren't comfortable. We can be uncomfortable for a moment too. I want to challenge you to come to the altar today with someone outside of your family. I want you to connect with somebody right now. Don't look for the easy out. Look for somebody, if if you resonated today with Lazarus, I want you to look for somebody that you think that person could probably speak positively into my life. If you resonated with the disciples today, I'm challenging you to look around and say, you know what, I'm not being prideful, I I don't have it all together, but but I think I could help this person. Yeah, that's how I thought you'd all be looking at me. (laughs) But this is the will of God, to make disciples, to become disciples. So take a moment, if you're willing, if you'll work with me here, take a moment find somebody that you could spend a few minutes and pray with. I've got to be uncomfortable enough to preach it. I'm going to ask you to be uncomfortable enough to do it. here's the prayer not looking for anybody to to lay out all their dirty laundry I've made you as uncomfortable as I'm going to make you the prayer together right now is this God help us both to do our part we both have a part to play and we're trying to be more like you and we want to see everybody be more like you and we need you to help us pray over the relationship Pray over the steps that need to be taken. Let's spend some time talking to God, but also praying for one another. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not, and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.